to Good Content, the SEO and Digital Marketing Podcast from Pure SEO. My name is Sam Mennell, and today I'm joined by our content team lead, Roland Shaw. Pleasure to be with you, Sam. Um, thank you for taking some time out of your day to, to talk to me. Uh, in this episode, we are going to talk about blog posts uh, and more or less what makes a good one, I guess, from an SEO perspective. This is kind of a basic uh, thing to talk about, I suppose, but I thought it would be a good thing to cover for uh, customers, clients, you know, stuff like yeah. that. People who might be interested in doing this sort of stuff for themselves, because blog posts is definitely one of those things that I think once you get the idea of it, you can kind of yeah. take it in-house if you want to. Probably the easiest of the main pillars of SEO that we do here for our actual clients to, to replicate if they've got the writing chops and the, the willingness to put in the time. Yeah, it does a lot of the time come down to putting in the time, I think, doesn't it? Um, we've also just released a blog post uh, about this <laughs> <laughs> on our own blog. If people are interested in checking that out, we'll, we'll probably link to it in the description of this episode if people are interested in going through and reading about this a little bit more as well. Um, I think we're, we're pretty much good to just dive right in. Where do you want to uh, start with this? I think in our blog post, we kind of started by covering off where places to get ideas for content are. I think that that's basically the, the yeah. beginning of the process. Topic research is definitely the most time intensive aspect of producing content uh, within our team. Mm. We set aside 10 plus hours or so to put these strategies together for the clients that we bring on board. And that's just because the digging yeah. takes a lot of time. Um, the challenge always is marrying sort of what you as an expert in your field and someone who knows your business and what you specialize in uh, would like to write about versus what is being kind of searched what for. is being searched for. Yeah. yeah. What, what questions people are asking Google um, and where those people sort of are in the conversion funnel. Are they uh, looking for information? Mm -hmm. Are they, sort of trying to compare brands, it's important to know where your target market sits when you produce content in terms of sort of that that journey through conversion funnels. Hmm. I think it is important too to try to kind of do both to a certain extent in that um, it is good to try to produce content that is interesting based on the, the industry or the business. That's probably not the best way to put it. You, you know what I mean. Like, I think yeah. that you put it quite well when you brought it up just before. There's like the, the balance of what people are searching for versus uh, what is the kind of most gripping thing in your in your industry or business yeah. at the moment uh, to you as like a business owner potentially. Because that stuff, I think, if you're interested in it, it would be better written. That's kind yeah. of basically <laughs> it. And it gets, like we get into that. I run into this with clients a lot, which is when we start talking about content from an SEO perspective or mentioning that it is SEO friendly content. Yeah. It's real easy to get into the weeds of how to structure and format content in a way that's going to be SEO friendly uh, and sort of lose track of the core mission of producing content, which is to engage and inform your target yeah. audience. Yeah. Um, so yeah, sort of marrying those, those two things. Like it, it, it's something that we're trying to do at the strategy and topic research level. It's also something we're trying to do when we're just writing the content. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, um, I think also it is, it is possible that like, uh, I, we kind of threw a figure out there for, it takes us around five, 10 hours to, to dig through and, and put together a strategy like this a lot of the time. I think that that is one of the things that could take a little less time for, uh, a business owner just because they already know 
uh, a lot of their service, their industry, that, yeah, that sure. kind of thing. Um, so there's the potential that that wouldn't take as long to do in-house. And I think the flip side of that is that it would probably take slightly longer to produce each each piece just because uh, writing takes a little bit of practice to get fast out. Yeah, I'd say maybe the, just the takeaway message is that it's worth putting in the time. Yeah. So in the blog that we just published, we looked a little bit at tools that we can use to generate content ideas uh, or, or find data on on what people are, are searching. Um, and I know that there are a couple of sort of free tools out there. Do you have any kind of recommendations? Are there any that you find are your favorites personally? We've got a handful of tools that, that we pay to use, but even with those in our arsenal, all of our content analysts will still just use Google to do yeah. a lot of their research. Yeah. Uh, it's such a, a valuable tool, even from this perspective of doing topic research there are people also ask snippets that'll turn up in search results, which are questions that Google knows people are asking related to the keywords that you've used or the search that you've entered. Um, you'll find that if you click on some of those, they'll give you featured snippets. If you close those snippets, it'll replace them with even more questions. You can kind of expand and explore uh, and tweak those results. And that gives us a lot of insight into how Google understands Mm. those keywords and the the topics and the sort of content that performs best for those. Yeah. Um, beyond that, I think the, the tool that we use the most of is SEMrush, but I'm pretty sure you have to pay for that. Yeah. Um, you mentioned keywords. Where, where can people look for those? Because that's kind of the next question, right? Yeah. Google Ads Keyword Planner, great place to start. That's a free tool. Um, if you're willing to do content marketing, there's a good chance that you've already l looked into, if not started doing some some Google ads or some, some search engine marketing. So that tool may already be available to you. If it's not, it's really easy to set up. And that is keyword research straight from the source. Mm. Um, an opportunity to just run your web pages, your homepage, your service pages, your product pages through that tool as they already are, and it will feed back some keywords that it thinks are the most relevant for those. Mm. Uh, you can also enter keywords that you particularly think are relevant to your business, and it will spit out a bunch of related keywords, semantically related keywords. Mm. Uh, twists on them, you can get uh, search, search volume for those by region, by country, and uh, the level of competition that goes into those, although that's a little bit less important from an organic perspective. Yeah, yeah. Um, and building out that, that list of keywords is important for a number of reasons. One of the big ones that are the most significant reasons we use keywords once we're actually producing content is to develop the internal linking strategy. Yeah. Um, that was the next thing that I was yeah. going to bring up. <laughs> um, Seamless I, segue. I kind, of, I kind of feel like that is one of the most important things to make explicit when talking about blog post content because... Uh, it's kind of easy to miss, I think, if you're if you're not keeping your eyes peeled, that there is quite a difference between how you would use keywords throughout your website versus how you would use them in in blog posts. Right. Do you want to talk a bit about that? The keywords that we try to use in blog posts may not always necessarily be keywords that are the most relevant to the topic at hand in that blog post, mm. uh, but they should be relevant to your 
your most important pages, your homepage, your service pages, your product pages, um, those pages with really high SEO value with, with uh, conversion potential. Mm. When we use keywords like that in our blog posts, we're, we use them for internal linking, which means that we hyperlink that keyword back to that page. Um, and this is where we sort of first wander into the SEO value of producing blog posts and, and uh, blog content, which is that every time you create a page uh, on your site as a blog post, you're creating a page that has its own domain authority, has its own value. And when you link back to your most important pages from those, you're distributing some of that extra link equity back to the pages on your site that matter the most. Mm. Um, so the content has its own value in that you can, uh, you can use it through social media posts. Mm. You can use it in all of your marketing channels. It has the opportunity to rank organically for long tail keywords, those specific detailed questions that you've seen people are asking Google, but it's also an opportunity to redistribute some of the value across your whole site to the pages that matter the most. Yeah. And kind of just tidy up your site architecture a little bit, right? Like yeah. Google definitely prefers, I think, a, a tightly networked website. And it, it can be, I think, a little easy to overdo it, which is why we try to limit the amount of that sort of thing in a, in a blog post. Um, because you don't want your website to be unusable, basically, that's the bottom line. <laughs> um, so a, a lot of the time, I think we recommend to people who are not necessarily sure which keywords to use as those links or, or where to put them um, to just think about it from kind of a user perspective, right? Yeah. It's like ultimately Google just wants things to be easy for people to use. That's like kind of the number one priority. Uh, and like everybody has experience with websites, you, you know, I think subconsciously when a link makes sense somewhere and you know when it doesn't, like they, they kind of stick out. Yeah. So it doesn't really take too much, I don't think, to, to see things from that perspective yeah like i said earlier it's just trying not to get lost in the weeds of all of the the technical aspects of the content and just remember that you're writing for people first yeah um yeah a lot of this seo friendly content is this this balancing act between delivering a great user experience and then satisfying the, the needs of an algorithm which yeah. <laughs> is kind of the weeds that people wander into they it's easy for people to buy into the idea that you're producing content to hack the system yeah or to game the system and that like that gap between what users expect from a blog post from a page and what Google's bots and spiders are looking for when they crawl that page, like that gap is getting narrower all the time. Yeah. Uh, AI and, and updates to those algorithms are aimed at replicating or, or focusing on user experience. Yeah. So playing the long game, if you're writing for readers, Google will catch up. Yeah. It's catching up all the time. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting way of putting it, like sort of playing the long game, I guess. I haven't really thought about it in that regard before. Like, it, I think it is easy to try to um, uh, just kind of match what Google is doing right now, <laughs> but it does make a lot of sense to try to future-proof your your website by, by looking at where Google is going, yeah. Yeah, which is definitely towards users, right? Like they mm -hmm. want to make it as, as user-friendly as possible. Um, I think the next thing that I want to talk about is uh, length and frequency. And I think the reason that I want to talk about this is because this is probably where people have the most sort of interest. Or 
I would expect that this is one of the more popular questions on this topic, right? Uh, it's probably yeah. one of the first things that comes up when people are like, okay, I'm going to write a blog from my website. How long should they be and how often do I have to do it? That, that is like logistically very important to anybody who's going <laughs> to try to undertake <laughs> something like this. Um, so do you want to talk a little bit about uh, best practices there and why they exist and maybe how those are changing as well, if they are? I'm not sure exactly how they are changing. Neither am I. I just But I can say that in within the content team here at Pure SEO, we write to a minimum of 500 words for yeah. our blog posts. And that's sort of a compromise between Google, which tends to prefer longer content, uh, and users, which tend to prefer content that's a little bit shorter, that's a little bit easier to navigate. Mm. Uh, and, and I think that there's some ways to quantify that distinction. Like Google's algorithms need content in order to contextualize that content and yeah. understand the intent of that page and what it's really about. Uh, users, like when people take to Google, they're not typically looking for research papers. They're looking for yeah. an answer to a question. Yeah. Um, and be, so, yeah, and if they see content that's where they're going to have to dig for, for 10 minutes to find what they're looking for, they're going to bounce, right? Yeah. So um, making information available to users is important. Um, you've just got that sort of accidental risk that they're going to find it so quickly yeah. that they back right back out yeah. and it's a bounce and your analytics are going to show that people aren't actually sticking around. Yeah. So there's there's a balancing a act one. there yeah <laughs> uh, i think that i think that if you do a good job of it as well you can kind of increase the chance of, of showing up in those featured snippets as well google will kind of pull a little bit from maybe the middle of one of your blog posts and yeah. show, show it to people out of context yeah and that can be good and bad as well i feel like basically for the same reasons uh it delivers what the user is looking for directly to them and it helps you rank really high because mm -hmm. those snippets are always at the top of the yep. page but it means they're not going to your website because they don't <laughs> need to anymore. So squaring that circle can be a little bit difficult, but I think, um, I think it generally the solution to that kind of depends quite heavily on, on the business. Like how, how do you think the best way to tackle that is? It's not a great sentence, but you go. It. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great question. A great point though. Uh, I feel like we're wandering a little bit into the value of heading structure, Yeah. Uh, which we, we did have pretty much next on this outline. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One is, headings are a great way to target featured snippets yeah. um, with those very specific long tail keywords breakdowns within uh, the content, but they're also a great way to break up lengthy pieces of content mm. and make it navigable for users. Um, a 100, 200 word blog post isn't going to have space for a lot of headings. Yeah. Um, but a 750 word blog post or a 2000 word blog post should have, you know, a pretty sophisticated heading structure. We can talk about that a little bit later, but the value of that, I think just from a visual perspective, yeah, making this massive block of text on a page look a little less yeah. monolithic. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think that if you can structure it well, there's kind of a natural momentum, like every sentence should lead to the next, right? Yeah. Like that's where I think, a big part of the skill of writing comes in because uh, if you write a good blog post, people will keep reading it. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on from from headings and structure, um, 
what else can we do, I guess, with the on-page optimization of a, of a blog post? We are pretty much into the, into the technical stuff at this point. Yeah, um, getting the actual heading hierarchy right is one of the first things that we make sure we do. Yeah. Just like any other page on your site, you should make sure that it's got the, the lone single H1 heading at the top as yeah. the title, um, and that the headings that follow kind of follow that, like a bullet point outline, what yeah. follows should be an H2. Uh, and that you shouldn't skip headings on your way down. You shouldn't drop from an H2 to an H4, for example, mm. um, so that Google can clearly delineate what subjects or, or pieces of information are sort of segmented within other pieces yeah. uh, and themes and sections so that that's intuitive, both for Google's algorithms and for your, for your readers. I think, um, I think as well, unlike kind of landing page content in which you probably want to have uh, a keyword in your h1 and throughout your headings if it makes sense and as long as you're not kind of overdoing it um for example like putting a service keyword in the h1 of your service page makes total sense <laughs> um you don't probably want to do that for a blog post yeah the the h1 should be something that kind of invites people to to read further but the keywords again because they're part of the internal linking strategy you don't necessarily want that blog post to be ranking for that keyword because then the page that you're linking to is yeah. going to be competing with that blog you, post. You want to use the keywords in the content, but you don't want the content to rank for the keywords. You don't want to cannibalize yeah. the, the more valuable pages. You don't want to outrank them. And I think um, I think that it's probably also worth mentioning, uh, you kind of mentioned it before, right? Like that pieces of content like this can rank organically for, for long tail keywords. What, mean, what we mean by that a lot of the time is as simple as the headings throughout your content basically being questions that you think that people are asking yeah. because Google will will see those headings and be like, the answer to this question is on this page uh, and it can deliver it kind of straight to them. Um, what about the uh, the title tag? We'll, we'll talk a little bit about metadata. What about the title tag and, and how does that differ from the H1? Are you looking for the definition of the title tag or? I don't really know. <laughs> um, I think... Yeah, I think that this can just be a little confusing at first glance, right? Because they basically seem the same. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of the time, they can be the same. But Yeah, I think that we typically find our writers can use their H1 and their title tag interchangeably. Yeah. With the only exception of tacking that, that company name onto the end of the title mm -hmm. tag. Um, the title tag being the big kind of link that appears on Google for people who want to click on your results. Yeah metadata showing up on your search engine results pages, the title tag, which is the title, and then the meta description, which is the short uh, summary of that page that appears underneath. We always recommend writing those custom for the page so that you can fit the, the information that's necessary yeah. into that yeah. really narrow character space. If you don't do that, Google will auto-populate that information on the search results page, uh, but they will just do it with what they perceive to be the most relevant chunk yeah. of text as it appears on the page. And that may not always be clear yeah. to a user. It may not fit all of the necessary information within that pretty narrow 160-ish character yeah. space. You kind of want to just remove the chance that something doesn't kind of compute for somebody who clicks on it. Because if Google auto-populates that with something that doesn't really make sense, somebody clicks on it thinking they're getting one thing and they get another, then that again increases that that chance of bouncing, mm -hmm. which is something that we want to avoid. Um, 
in terms of um, kind of looking further into on-page optimization, we've talked a little bit about how headings are really important for breaking up the page uh, and and kind of improving that that flow and, and helping people digest the, the content that's there. Um, how do we do that with, with images as well? Because I think that images are something that I, I always find people in SEO talk a lot about it. Um, I feel like Pravin has brought it up both times that we've, <laughs> we've talked previously to, to recording this episode. Um, so SEO people will always tell you to put images in your, in your content. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about, about that and, and what the best practices around that are? Yeah, I, web, web pages are, are primarily visual for most users, even when they are coming to that page for specific information. Mm. Um, and for the same reason that headings can kind of help break up that big block of text you've included in a blog post, images can kind of serve the same function. Um, and there's there's fringe benefits to doing that from an SEO benefit or from an SEO perspective as well, mm. uh, namely image alt text, which is something we are careful to always do with yeah. the images that we include on any page, um, and alt text, which is the the sort of caption text behind that image in the in the coding, yeah, um, is is probably another good example of this balancing act that we've spoken about a couple of times, yeah. which is that from a UX perspective, that alt text is is helpful for screen reading apps for visually impaired users mm. so that they can have the the content of that image or the context of that image read to them so that they can understand it. But from an SEO perspective, it's a great opportunity to launder keywords onto the page, yeah. you know, um, in a way that's, that's pretty discreet. So making sure that you, you format images is really important from an SEO perspective, making yeah. sure you just use them is really important from a visual UX perspective yeah. um, and helping to sort of contextualize the nature of the content. I, I also tend to find that um, there's kind of a, it's another case where it, it's a case by case thing, right? Like I think sometimes you'll find that a keyword in the alt text isn't going to deliver that value for the user. And in cases like those, I feel like I tend to let that keyword kind of spill over into the file name instead is that well, how do you feel about that? Do you agree with me? I, I, I agree. I agree. I think that keywords in alt text is probably more important for service pages. Yeah. Namely because, as we've mentioned, blog posts kind of exist to target more specific keywords, which are going to be longer tail and sort of harder to use yeah. as alt text by themselves. So, you know, if you're ever, I think, in doubt or unsure how, how you can do it organically, rather opt for the user experience. Um, I think keywords within alt text is, is kind of an add-on. It's one of those little bonuses, those little yeah. ways you can give it that little boost from the back end. Um, but not using a keyword in an image alt text isn't going to yeah. sabotage that piece of content's <laughs> capacity to rank for its target long keyword. I think, I think that's a good point, and I think it's an important one to, to say, if in doubt, or on the side of, of user experience. Because it's quite freeing, I think, to be able to, if you're not sure about something, take a step back and just say, well, what would I want to see, basically? Yeah. Um, because that's kind of a reliable approach. Yeah. Um, I think that uh, we should probably also mention 
page experience just because of the recent update and the kind of core web vitals deal, which is um, <laughs> continuing to be something that we, we pay attention to. Uh, only to say that image size matters. Yeah. Uh, image size always matters. Always has mattered, matters more now. Yeah. yeah. Um, take the time to resize your images, uh, yeah. compress them. Um, we try to keep ours under 200 kilobytes. kilobytes. Yeah. Um, and it's probably also worth saying if an image is going to break a page, that's, yeah, you should fix that <laughs> because uh, it isn't just about kind of load speed and size anymore. Google is also kind of actively paying attention to if an image loads slowly and pushes stuff around on the page. That's kind of a big one, stuff like that. So like if you, if you add an image to a blog post and, and you realize that it's squeezing all the text over to one side of like strange that you weren't expecting, then have your developer look at that. <laughs> yeah. And pay attention to how your images affect the mobile version of your site as well. Yeah, I think that's, a, that's, that's, a big one. that's probably where most of those issues arise yeah. is that it looks great on desktop and then you find on yeah on mobile that it's segmented text in a really awkward way. And you that's easy to miss too, because if you're developing, you're developing on desktop. Yeah. But if, from Google's point of view, it doesn't even really matter if your clients are coming to your business through mobile, Google is going to assume that they are because mobile is so popular now that it's just the first port of call for them. Yeah. Uh, awesome. Do we have anything else that we want to talk about? Uh, I think that we've pretty much covered everything that's on our list. That's kind of the basics for, for blog posts. Yeah. Um, I think that the, the main takeaway, what we try to always remember is that, you know, users know spam when they see it. Yeah. And so every piece of content that you choose to write and you should choose to write them if you have the, the time and the knowledge yeah. um, should come from the perspective of engaging and informing your readers and and earning their trust and giving them what they need and what they're looking for. And then from there, doing what you can uh, to make that, that content SEO friendly. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much for, for joining me. We will be back with more news and updates uh, next month. I believe we're going to be talking about local SEO. Uh, but until then, remember, you will not rank without good content.